Well, welcome to Church at the Red Door. Is that, is that a way to get your day started? As I told you, sometimes we don't have enough spectacle. Sometimes there's too much. Sometimes there's not enough. And I'm just telling you for the message that we're going to, both David Cook, our guest, and uh, going to give it our best shot. To, we, you need to understand spectacle. You need to understand the procession of Christ triumphing. Triumphant over all evil. I mean, that's what we're celebrating here. We cannot come here. Yes. It's, it's a fine to be quiet and passionate, and sometimes there's a mystical aspect, and sometimes you just got to get up and let your pants get set on fire <laughs> and say, we serve an awesome God that's real and alive and true and and so full of mercy, and so full of grace. That's the message. You ready? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. This is complicated. This is weird stuff from our perspective anyway, and walking in the scene realm. You talk about things that are just sounds so bizarre, and we don't understand sometimes. Lord, Holy Spirit, unpack this for us today. We ask you for the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week. You're not going to give us a scorpion if we ask for the Spirit. Lord, just pour it out on us as we go off script a little this morning, uh, hopefully in guidance to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 11, we're working our way through, uh, and I had we had a whole direction, and again, as I said at 3.30 this morning, I just felt like the Lord wanted to go a slightly different direction. And I think you're going to be profoundly impacted for it, by it. And I'll tell you, I, do, I believe that there will be a story told today that you will never forget. I know at least for me that's the case. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Complicated. And by the way, that was my choice. That is a fly. Don't let that freak you out. Well, it should freak you out. I don't, I'm not going into that element of unpacking this morning. Save that for next week and that fly will make sense. Nevertheless, verse 14. And he... Jesus was casting out a demon. Now, we just can't take, uh, he's casting out a demon. Well, that's the Bible stories. No, no, no. Understand what he was doing. As we'll see here in a minute, anytime the kingdom begins to invade your life personally, or it can happen at times even collectively, there's something happened. The kingdom is beginning to be visible. And this is what Jesus is going to say in a minute. He says, and it was and the demon was mute. And when the demon had gone out, some think the demon was mute. The, obviously, the man was mute. Maybe the demon wasn't. It's all theological debate. It doesn't matter. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were freaking out as they always did. Here's the guy that was mute. Nope, maybe it was all of his life. I don't know. And all of a sudden, he begins to speak. I, I don't know if you catch the gravity of that. I, if that happened in front of me and I knew this guy was mute, I couldn't say. I couldn't golf clap it. I Lord Jesus, thank you. That's really true. I mean, I would have been the second song. Our God is an awesome. I, I mean, I would have been amazed. They were amazed. It's natural that they were amazed. But some of them, some of them, you can be so blind to the reality of the creator of the universe, so steeped in religious protocol, so steeped in the way that your worldview looks at the gospel and at this word that you cannot see it, you are blind to it. Some of them said, he casts out demons by, well, Beelzebul. Now, that can be Lord of the Flies, and I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll impact that again next week a little bit more, or Lord of Filth. Now, imagine what's happening. Here is the kingdom of heaven beginning to invade, cast 
people, cast demons out of people to where they now are functioning in a sane mind where there was anxiety and there is no longer. I was just talking to Dr. Burr. She said she had a client this week that suffered from OCD and this and that, and she just began to share scriptures with her and all this. And she said at the end, end of it, she said it was that. It was, it was as if you cast Satan out. She was completely calm, completely that that's what happens uh, when you're just invaded by the Spirit. Think something profound happens, and yet they couldn't see it, and they were accusing Jesus of the power of being satanic. That is a far, that, that is just overwhelming to me. He said others began to test him. People always do that. Well, I don't even know if he exists. Maybe he exists, I don't know. They tested him, demanding of him a sign from heaven, and of course he knew their thoughts, and said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided, well, it can't stand, it'll fall. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, what do you think the kingdom of God is? Well, it's uh, people bowing to the authority and, the, and the, the power and the glory of King Jesus. That's the kingdom, yes, but it come, what comes with it is complete and other sanity. You see that over and over, and he was out of his mind, and then he, he's back in his right mind. I mean, you see this. That's what had happened. Here the man couldn't speak for whatever reason, and now he's speaking. Don't let this just roll off as it's on telling you some silly story trust me this is this is reality and i've seen it happen over and over and over again in people's life and it started with my own a mind full of chaos began to be quieted from one day to the next then he says this is an interesting parable verse 21 he says when a strong man fully armed Guards his own house, his, well, his possessions are undisturbed, but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he's relied and distributes his plunder. And he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now I'm only going to go into verse 24. We'll look at again, we'll look at that next week. It's in the it's a continu- continuation of what he's saying here. But let's I want to spend a little time on this idea of strong man. And, and what does that mean? And he, well, theologians disagree. Also, some of the charismatic movement uh, and others, not just the charismatic movement, will, will believe that we have the power to bind and to release Satan and to loose Satan and things like that. It gets very theological, sticky widget there. It gets very theologically challenging. Is that what that's about? And others think different things about it. I'll tell you what your pastor really sent, believes in its core the core message here is that Jesus is going to come and bind Satan when he goes to the cross. He's going to reduce the authority of these spiritual forces by his, ultimately, by his overwhelming them. Did anybody see War of the Worlds? It, it was, uh, th- now, you've got to realize, uh, late 19th century, uh, there was a guy, O.G. Wells, and O.G. Wells wrote something called The War of the Worlds. And it was about Martians who would come in and kind of take over 
take over the whole thing, right? Take over the world. And in fact, from what I had read, I, I believe it was, uh, was it Orson Welles who was doing a radio bro broadcast in the early 20th century. And it goes back when everybody had radio and they all listened to radio. And some people didn't know that it was not happening. And peop many people believed that the Martians were overtaking. But it was a panic that ensued and all kinds of things. But in 2005, Tom Cruise and S Steven Spielberg came up with this whole thing. And it was really about they had planted these things underground and the, and then lightning began to strike you know and it was like <laughs> and it was i gotta tell you it was a compelling movie it was it was it was a horror movie so don't watch it i don't watch horror movies but this was something spielberg just has a way of kind of taking that edgy thing and there was lightning strikes and it was a divorced man tom cruise and his kids and it was just pounding the city and they just didn't know what was going on and then the earth began to open up but then they were able to slow it down, and they would see in these lightning strikes, there would be these uh, extraterrestrial beings that were in these what appeared to be lightning strikes, and it would send them right down into the earth, and then they would come up. And it was always for nefarious reasons. In fact, H.G. Wells wrote, he said, Yet across the gulf of space, minds that are to our minds as ours are to those of the beasts that perish. They think of us as beasts. Intellects vast and cool and and unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. See, when we think of extraterrestrials, what do we do? People who've descended from some other earth, you know, heavenly realm and they come to earth, it's always the assumption is there's a nefarious purpose, right? I mean, there's the, they come in to do what? And in Tom Cruise, they, they, were, they were, well, they were foresting human beings. I mean, that's what they were doing. And they were using their blood to grow this red weed to make it look more like Mars. And all that was kind of subtext to the movie. But it was pretty graphic, pretty gross. And we think of people descending from somewhere else coming for one purpose. And that purpose is to spill our blood. Isn't it? I mean, that's, why, that's kind of the text of, that's kind of the narrative for a lot of extraterrestrial beings. Well, Paul's going to use something very different here. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, but he's going to start using the language. Jesus wouldn't come in a lightning strike, even though he would be the light of the world. He wouldn't be buried in the ground and then come up out of his extraterrestrial, you know, spacecraft of some sort and begin to harvest, you know, human beings. He would come as a baby in swaddling clothes in a manger in a fairly indistinct place in the middle of the Middle East, right in the navel some 2,000 years ago, and the claim was, the claim was that he descended. He had the same conversation with John, as, a, as Nicodemus, in the Gospel of John as an example. He talked about descending and ascending and who he was, and Nicodemus had no clue of what he was talking about. Paul uses the same language, quoting Psalm 68, but in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what the apostle Paul says. Very fascinating. Therefore, it says, he's quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. Now, that's strange language, and I'll have to unpack that a bit for you. And it says, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And then he started to distribute some plunder. Remember our language that we're looking at here in the Lukean account, uh, and he began to take the armor and distribute it. Uh, Ma Matthew 12 has a similar account, and there's a distribution of gifts, uh, receiving gifts and things like that. And what is he talking about? He gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints is what we're doing here this morning. 
for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a mature man and woman, and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, what is he saying? Well, he's drawing on a hymn that would have been sung about a thousand years before the time of Jesus by a guy named King David. Now, they came in and they took over the Jebusites that had established a small city that would eventually become Jerusalem. The place of God's dwelling, in other words, that, in fact, so much so that that would one day be the place where Jesus himself would lay down his own life and spill his own blood. Not coming as an extraterrestrial to spill blood, not human blood, but to take on the form of a human and to spill his own blood. Very different narrative. And yet still people misunderstanding Jesus panic at the thought of Jesus. They're too far away from him. They, they, they don't understand. They don't understand. They, they feel alienated from him. They don't, they don't know how to get closer to him. They don't even know this purpose. But he said some pretty stark things, and, you know, heaven forbid that if some of the things that I've heard from some of those TV preachers was true, then he might, you know, I might be in big trouble. But I'll just push it to the back of my mind and go play another nine. So what is it? Well, this, there would be this hymn, and, and it was a picture of David, and it would, it would be sung as the kings would go out, and they would overthrow a people, maybe a Canaanite tribe or something, and they would come back, and then they would lead, and this is what it says here, led captive a host of captives, and that would be the hymn sung. Now, theologians disagree on who the captives are, and I don't think there's any reason to disagree. I think it's, well, to quote Forrest Gump, well, I think it might be a little bit of both. Look, it's true. Uh, who are the captives? Well, are they spiritual forces that have been triumphed over in our lives? Well, clearly the demonic is being cast out. The chaos that ruled lives before is now, well, it's now being, it's being suppressed. No, it's not just being suppressed, it's being eliminated. So imagine, and that's why I had that processional song. We'll do that again. We just need that sometimes to just realize that it's not just more about you being private in your prayer closet. Sometimes it's about well, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? He's not going to come back as a little baby in a manger in swaddling clothes. No, he's going to come back as a triumphant king in every knee. Paul told the church at Philippi, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the king of the cosmos. Do you believe that? What will that procession look like? Well, if a king was coming back having dominated and 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 overtaken a people, he would come back probably with two people, and you could call both of them captives. Some would be the spiritual forces of darkness. Now they, the enslavers of people, would come back now tied and in chains. You can imagine dragging those chains along in the procession as the king enters the city, having plundered the enemy, now distributing the gifts to all those who are in the city. We, this is the booty from the war. I mean, th we've won. And you could see the enemy coming back, enslaved and in chains, bound as they bound others before. But I think you would also see some other captives, but these are not captives in chains. These are captives who were in chains. People maybe that somebody had taken captive, who had enslaved and entrapped those who were there, and now they're coming back, but they're not, oh, they're not a million miles away. They're right next to the king. They're trying to get as close to the king as they can. They, they're worshiping the king. They're in awe of the king. I 
think it might be a little bit of both. I do too. I think it's both. Nothing one or the other. It's clearly spiritual forces. But it's also those captives, well, that were captives. And then have now, that have now been freed. Proverbs verse chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 4. Listen. He who ascended into heaven. Who, excuse me, who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? Been written about a thousand years in advance of Jesus. What is his name or his son's name? And then it asks, well, it's a rhetorical comment. Surely you know. Who's the one who has ascended, but then descended? Excuse me, who's the one that's descended and is now ascended? Acts chapter 1, he ascends back to the right hand of the Father, pours out the Spirit, which you both now see and hear, waiting to come back in triumph with all the demonic. Every Why do you think that heaven will be heaven? Because there will be no more tears. There will be no more demonic chaotic influences that lead people into pain no more savagery no more child molestation no more thievery no more smash and grabs none of that it won't exist anymore you can leave your doors open at night you can have people over nobody's gonna be afraid of getting robbed I was with a guy yesterday and he was on the phone he's a big car dealer and he's on the phone he couldn't get off the phone somebody had broken into his dealership and stolen cars and this and that and they got to get new doors and all the case and his whole his whole afternoon is going to be sitting there to contact the insurance we won't need insurers anymore i'm sorry geico i'm sorry but you won't need insurers anymore it would be no re- nobody's dying nobody's why because all of the spiritual forces are now here how did that happen and i'm going to close with this before i bring up my speaker but go to colossians chapter 2 I was going to tell you a story again that I believe you'll never forget. Colossians chapter 2. If you can understand this, you will understand what Jesus did, what looked like a defeat, what looked like the utter failure, hanging naked on a cross 2,000 years ago, blood pouring out of his body, from his beard being brutally pulled out of his face to being stabbed with spears, pierced, through his feet and hands pierced, beaten around the head, crown of thorns, blood coming down from these long thorns, all, well, he was complete, he, he became trapped for us. He became enslaved in a sense. He became sin. Second Corinthians 5, he was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. But Colossians 2 simply says this, verse 13, and when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your what? Your flesh. He made you alive together. He made it. Who, who's doing the work here? He's doing the work. Together with him, having forgiven us a good majority of our transgressions. That's not what he says. All of our transgressions. And how did he do it? He, well, he, he canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees that was what? against us, which was hostile to us. In other words, if you read the law, you want to read this as a good moral book, good luck with that. You're just going to feel condemned, and you'll eventually put it away. Well, God's a million miles away from me. I can't, he's, he's, I'm completely invalidated by this stupid law. I don't even believe in it. No, it's ancient things. And the, but deep down, you know that there's a lot not right in you. He took all that, all those, and this is a judicial idea. This is a 
a courtroom action, all those things, all those decrees that were hostile to us, the very law, which itself is good, but it's hostile to us, and he nailed it to the cross. And it says, and he's, he's taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. And then verse 15, and when he had done what? Disarmed. That's what he's saying here in Luke 11. He disarmed the strong man because he's stronger. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's the spiritual authorities uh, in the unseen realm, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Imagine again the processional, this regal victory coming back to the city with all these captives in tow and all these ones that had caused so much pain and so much chaos, and here they come, enslaved, and then he's distributing everything. He's triumphed over them, but it wasn't a triumph by, well, by coming to earth and spilling human blood, not like King David and some of his exploits in the Middle East, but by spilling his own. It looked like a defeat. It was a triumph. That's why we're here. We're here because we worship. We're here because that's our God. Now, do you want to hear that in a more, even more clear way? I'm going to ask Dr. Cook to come up. Let me just introduce Dr. Cook. He, David and I go back over 30 years. Uh, he's been a sports psychologist to many athletes, uh, many teams. Many. Uh, he was uh, working with Baylor this last year. That pretty good team, high college basketball team. They, they played with joy, and they, every time they do an interview, they, we play with joy and everything. Well, that was his work. Uh, he, he, he was with the San Antonio Spurs for nine years. They won two national championships with the Duncan and the Robinson years. And, and, uh, but he's also worked with a lot of golfers and through the years and done a lot. And then he wrote a book called Seven Days in Utopia that became a movie. And some of you may have seen it with Robert Duvall starring and all that. And we've gone back, served on boards, loved doing ministry. We don't see near enough of each other. But we were through the privilege of uh, the Sullivans, Hollis and Donna. We were able to do a little something at the hideaway. And then he did a little fireside chat last night. And, uh, and I said, well, I just got to have you. Because he told a story Friday morning that just... I will never forget it. And I said, Church of the Red Door needs to hear this. So would you please welcome Dr. David Cook, and you can have all the time you want, brother. Five minutes. Thank you. Yeah. I do love Jesus, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. One of the things that fascinates me about Jesus is how he shared parables, not only, oh, excuse me, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by Jesus and the way he shared parables to bring in the kingdom ideas and to bring the realm and help us to see things that we couldn't see. But he also did that so that we might, in our life, be able to see the realm of God versus what we call reality and be able to learn, what is God saying? What is he speaking to me about? And it's just so fascinating and inspiring to see a parable come alive in your life. It was a very cool, crisp morning in Kansas, in Alta Vista, Kansas, many years ago, where my life was changed by a parable descending. And I love to hunt, quail hunt, uh, behind dogs especially, because I love watching the master and the dog work together. It was a very cool morning, Chris. There's a little snow on the ground. This dog had been waiting for nine months to do what it was bred to do. Because there wasn't a season during those nine months, but now it's here. And so as Susie, the dog, was ready to get out of the crate, she was so excited and exuberant and ready to do what she was bred to do. And John, her master, let her out and, whoo, she's out and going. It was like, wow, I can do this now. And, and he said, she's pretty excited. She's going to be a little hard to control today, but we'll work on it. And 
she'd get out there about 20 or 30 yards going back and forth. In a few minutes, she hadn't smelled or seen any quail, and she was getting a little perturbed, so she went out a little further, getting away from the voice of John, her master. And he would call as loud as he could and get her to come back, look at her in the face, you know, like the dog understands, stay close, stay in range, do what you're trained to do. But eventually the dog broke earshot of the master, 70 yards, 100 yards, 300 yards away to the edge of a wooded area. And she went on point. We could just barely see. She stopped running. He goes, oh, my gosh, she's got a rabbit, a deer, you know, something, not a quail. And the next thing, she bolted into the woods and disappeared. We're 300 yards away, and a few seconds later, we heard what you don't want to hear from a dog. It was a, it was a squeal, a bark, a yelp, a pain-filled shrieking noise coming from the dog in the woods. And John began to run, just run to this dog. And I was following as fast as I can, and we get into the woods, and we see this thing. It's an old moldy ham about four feet up in the air, swinging on a rope. And underneath it, Susie was caught in a trap. It's one of those traps when you move, it gets tighter and tighter. And she's about to just break her leg off. She's just in torment and in pain. And John sees this, and her paw is pretty wide. Pretty, you know, dog paw right there in that, you know, on the paw is wide. And John sees that there's some space in there. And immediately, without thinking, he drops his shotgun and he crams his hand as hard as he can into the trap. And her foot comes out. And my friend's trapped. And we don't know the mechanisms of this. And we're a long way away. And it's immediate as his hand loses color and begins to bleed and turn blue. And he's shaking. He's in pain. And he's a big, strong guy. But this is hurting. And every time he moves... It gets tighter. Susie, sitting there with her paw, watching. She is in awe of this man, her master, that just took the pain away from her and put it on himself. John's saying, David, help, help, help. The ground was Finally, we figured the mechanism out, and the ground was too soft, and as we tried to open the trap, it just caused more pain and sunk. I looked around. I found a log. I rolled it over. We put it on the top of that, and I pushed with all of my weight. It was an old, rusty trap, and barely, barely creaked, and he pulled his hand out, and back, snap. And he's looking at his hand. He's shaking. His eyes are closed. He said, I think it's broken. Let's go. I pick his shotgun up. I'm about 10 feet behind, and I'm watching this scene. This dog, Susie, that was bred to hunt, who had lost earshot of her master because she thought she knew better where the quail were, and she went hunting on her own, was now. Her nose was next to his knee. She kept looking up, looking up. She was in awe. She was in complete awe. We walked all the way across that field where she was supposed to be hunting. She wasn't hunting anymore because she was in awe of what just happened. I'm 10 feet behind. We're walking about a mile to the car, and God begins to say, look, look, see. And I realized three things. 
God seeks us when we call to him. And Susie got caught. She went after something that looked good, but wasn't what she was trained or bred to do. And it was a moldy hand. She got stuck in a trap, which a lot of us have done in our life, by going after something that God didn't create us for or to do. We thought that might fulfill the hunger, the need in our life, but he says, I'm the bread of life. I came to give you life to the full, but the ham looked so good, and we're caught. And then we get ashamed, and then we feel guilt, and then we turn our face from God who said, seek, I will seek you if you'll call my name. But no, we feel too bad. And so what we do is we think, after a while, the pain is just excruciating. We're looking at this thing, and we think this is as good as it's going to get. So I need to medicate the pain. I need to mediate the pain. And so what can I do to get my mind off of this terrible trap and where I am because there's no way out? And so addictions come, and, you know, it can be drugs and alcohol or performance or pornography or whatever it might be to take the pain. I was there. I don't know where your trap was, but he says we were all lost and he came to save us. But God's love, you can't, your sin can't overcome God's love. Seek me. I mean, call out to me. And that's what Susie did. And so her master ran. He ran. And when he saw, that was the first thing. And when he saw the pain, he put himself in the pain to remove our pain. That's the cross. That's called love. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. It was his plan, which is such a great sermon. It is the most mysterious and wonderful plan. Ingenious, creative, imaginative that faked the devil out. He thought he had him when he had him in the trap. Love. And then they begin to walk across the field, and the third thing I begin to wonder, how is John going to react to this dog now? Pretty much invalidated herself as a hunting dog, went off on her own, stubborn, obstinate, went after something that wasn't a quail. All kinds of labels could have been put around that dog. She could have been put in the backyard and never hunt again. Or John could forgive her not put labels on her, see her value, speak encouragement and greatness over her, and allow her to do what she was born to do. Two weeks later, we hunted behind Susie. Her foot was better. John's hand was better. And we went hunting. And that dog stayed close, 20, 30 yards, going back and forth. In fact, Unusual things happened. The dog would come back to John, the big smile and tail wagging, even if she didn't find the quail, just to be close, just to make sure. You know, what it looked like, it looked like an obedient dog, which is one of our good religious words. But see, there's something deeper. Obedience isn't bad, but there's something under it to make it good. And that's what we call awe. Absolute awe. We're compelled to follow the master to listen to his voice, to be encouraged and inspired by his promises. 
And that's what happened to Susan. She did not want to break earshot of the one who freed her from the trap. In Psalms 25, it says, rescue me, Father God. Free me. Free my feet from every trap. And Psalm 107 says, then we cried out, Lord, help us. Rescue us. <laughs> and the good news today, he did. And that, my friends, changed my life forever. And because I am now in all and forever will be. Amen? Amen. Sorry, brother. You're still going to make it, and you're going to hit it 300 down the middle on Thursday. He has got, he, he said, maybe I can do the first service. I can't do the second. I said, stay, please, but he's late for his tea time. Let's all pray that he hits it 300 right down the middle on the first hole. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Cook. We really appreciate you, brother. So I guess there's, you know, there's all kinds of reactions, but there's really three reactions to that king that, that's leading in triumph and has a, a host of captives behind him. I guess one response could be, well, you know, I don't even believe in that Jesus. I mean, maybe a teacher or something like that, but then, you know, who can know? You can't trust the Bible. It's been written over hundreds of years. It was a long time ago. It's an ancient manuscript. I just... I just think it's all a concoction. So, yeah, I don't believe in biblical Jesus. You might believe that he existed, and you should because other writers wrote about him, but I don't believe in biblical Jesus. Okay, so you can just kind of discount Jesus as the king, and there's no procession, and there's no triumph. There's some that kind of hold, well, yeah, I, I do kind of believe in Jesus. I kind of believe in biblical Jesus, but I have been invalidated by my life. I've, I've made choices. I've told lies. I've made choices. I've slept around. I've done i've overeaten I've, I've been a drug addict i've gotten married eight times and still not happy i you know whatever it is all i do is play golf i'm not you know i all i do is work all i do you know like you said just try to get away from the pain we can feel we're trapped we don't think there's an option that god couldn't possibly forgive me i felt that way for a long time when i first came out here i'd kind of done the jesus thing a little bit and gotten baptized and <laughs> Then came out here, and my life was chaos. And I thought, well, he's done with me. And then sometimes you'll listen to preachers that say, well, you're, he's kind of done with you. Can I just tell you, that is not biblical Jesus. That is not the narrative of Scripture. You call to him, and he will set you free. He will set you free. Well, we're going to, in light of that, how did he do that? Well, he triumphed over them through the cross. So we're now going to do communion together, and Paul asked me if I'd go ahead and do it. I guess I will, second service as well, Paul. What we have here, if you will, let me just use the analogy that we've been working with, and I don't know, haven't, I don't know how I haven't spilled this yet, but I haven't. Uh, this is the trap. Uh, this is the trap that Jesus willingly put himself in. Do you understand that? Jesus willingly said, he said, I have the authority to lay my life down and, thank God, I have the authority to raise it back up again. So what he did uh, the night before he knew he was going to take this, put himself, insert him into the trap that we had already created to free the world. He didn't come, he said to Nicodemus, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. You need to understand the mission of the king. 
He didn't come to spill your blood. He came to spill his own blood that you might follow him in the procession, not just in one time, but for all of eternity as the awesome God. But what he had to do is insert himself into the trap, and to do that he had to, well, he had to have his body broken for you, and that's what Paul told the Corinthians. Now, you don't do it just ceremonially. What's important is that we now are going to close our eyes. I'm asking you just close your eyes, ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal an area in your life that you've wandered away from the Master. You've gotten out of earshot. You're, you've been chasing swinging hams, moldy, swinging hams. You feel you're, you feel you're saved, but you just need to clear the air with your Creator and say, Lord, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Let's just take a minute to do that. Once you've sensed that you've cleared the air, then we can together take his body that was, well, it was broken for us. So let's receive the bread. And then he did a second thing. He, he did this the night before, again, the night before he would go to Gethsemane and know that he was going to have to take a pretty brutal journey. Father, take this cup from me. And he realizes the father's answer was no, because it was going to put him, it was going to make the father pleased to put him to grief that Isaiah had seen 700 years before, to mar him more than any man. And in the marring came the blood. And he also saw that one day he would sprinkle the nations, Isaiah chapter 52, he would sprinkle the nations. And so what we do with this cup is that we take this cup and we say this is a new covenant. It's not like the old covenant, which is, well, it's laws and well, it was hostile to us and uh, every, the law condemned us and it was a ministry of condemnation, Paul called it, but he nailed that to the cross. He spilled his blood and he said, this is the new deal. You believe in me and this blood will cover your sins. Not you just not sinning, but even after you've run a million miles from me and chased all the hams in the world, uh, well, you can come back to me now because of the blood that I've spilled. So let's receive the blood. Folks, that's why we come here. We come here to worship the one who put it, inserted himself into the trap for us, the trap we so richly deserved. But then there's a second action after the belief, and that's let's stay close to the let's stay close to the master. I want to stay in earshot. I wonder sometimes, I, I know I do, but I realize that just if I have wondered with one word, one word of authority, do you realize that his authority over the cosmos is complete? There's not one atom, not one electron circling a neutron that's not out of the out of its place. Not one thing he doesn't control. So we're going to close with this song. I ask you if you would, you can stay seated if you'd like on this song, just, but to take in the words. Is very, I pick these songs because there's meaning to the particular thing. And I, I want you to realize just one word, one word he speaks over your life can transform you. That's the kind of authority he has. A mute man, boom, he, could, he was no longer mute. A blind man could see. A dead man was raised. A young woman was raised at one word of authority. That's the power. Is that a triumph or is that a failure? Looked like a failure, but it was a triumph.
Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for just showing up. It's just amazing. We just so we thank you for Dr. David Cook. Lord, would you just continue to bless him and use him in a mighty and powerful way to take your message to the world. And so, Lord, we do ask that we would understand and see the traps clearly. Father, I'm asking that you protect us from those traps. I pray for Church at the Red Door. Everybody that's here, I would ask that you just guide them, you direct them, give them wisdom, give them discernment. I'm asked, Lord, that you would um, protect them, protect them from the evil one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Lord, I'm praying that they would just clearly see it and pray that they would walk in victory. Lord, you um, are just an amazing father, and we just thank you for the blessings. Lord, help us all to have a grateful heart as we walk out of here, understanding what you did on that cross. Lord, would you give us a heart that just wants to serve and to be generous and to have a positive impact in this world. Lord, those that don't know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Draw them close to you. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, we would just see amazing things happen through this church and through the people. And let us be your vessel that we could use, where we could glorify you everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.